Você vai dar uma dor, eu estou estranho. Você está lá quando você disse, por favor, você vai dar uma garrafa. Uma garrafa. Você está lá quando você tem um hot dog. Uh, I must admit, I'm slightly discombobulated after that statement. Came out of your mouth with such velocity. Oh, no. Little in-joke, she said, uh, shall I dare you to get the word velocity into your message tomorrow, so I just did it. Already up front. Um, hey, Orson, if you've got a, a, um, a Bible there, we're going to end up in John chapter 8. But before we do, I just want to go over again. We've been talking for the last few, uh, probably a couple of months now, we, since we came back from COVID, from the, the, the 12 weeks where we couldn't meet, I feel like we've come back and the church is going back with a bit of a different uh, attitude, maybe. And I can, can sense from a lot of conversations I'm having with people and even other churches and pastors I'm talking to, that coming back required a decision and people had to ask themselves, why would I waste my time going back? I mean, I can sit a YouTube message in around, around my week. I can even sit there doing something while the guy's talking on the screen and nobody knows about it. But the way, if anyone needs to go to the toilet, go now, we'll all turn this way and no one needs to know about it. <laughs> but I feel like there's a sense in which those that have come back are looking for maybe something a little bit more solid. I don't, I don't know how to word it, but that's why I can put it probably is, is Paul talks about, you know, uh, give, I'm giving you milk, but I'd love to give you something a bit more meatier than that. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Paul writes this, he says, And I, brothers, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. The NIV puts it this way, I couldn't address you as people who did by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. He says, I'd love to, to speak to you that way. He says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you're not able to receive it, watch this, and even now you're still not able. And you can tell in Paul's language that he's going, you should be able to by now. You really should. I should be able to feed you something a bit more solid, but I can't. I'm still handing you a bottle and bottle feeding you. Now that tells me something. It tells me this, that time alone doesn't bring about Christian maturity. You can be... You can sit here now and say, I've been following Jesus for the last 60 years. You can be as immature as someone who's been following the Lord for six months. You can. Our spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how long we've been hanging around the church, how long we might have been listening to preaching, or how, how, what the date is in our Bible when we first bought it, or when we first gave our heart to Jesus. We talked about this last week. Jesus doesn't want my heart, he wants my life. The concept of inviting Jesus into my heart, while I know what we mean by that, he doesn't want to come into my heart, he wants to invade my entire life and live out through me. That's, that's what God wants. And I have this feeling since we came back that there's, there's been a, that those that have, have thought about why do I go and have decided to come back to gatherings all over the place, have maybe come back with that, that little bit of a deeper resilience within them that, hey, no, no, I, I've worked out now why and it's important to me and I want to go on with this thing. Because COVID was the perfect opportunity for everyone to check out of gathering together again. It was the perfect opportunity to just disappear and get on with life. But, but people have come back, and I, I feel like as they've come back, that there's a, 
a sense in which God wants us to go a little bit deeper now with him. And I'm not talking, you, you all know me, I'm, I'm a simpleton, okay? I'm not a deeply theological guy. I'm not giving you all the Greek and the Hebrew and all that sort of stuff. I'm not here bedazzling you with my incredible digging intellect, which, uh, by the way, I don't have anyway, but if I wanted to, I couldn't kind of really dazzle you with that. It's not what it's about. So I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is where we take more ownership of our own growth in God, more ownership of why do we follow Jesus, what does it mean to follow Jesus, we take more ownership of the cost of following Jesus and we embrace all that Jesus talked about. We all know that when we came to faith that God didn't say, I'm going to lay out a bed of roses for you. Now that you come to faith, your life is going to be perfect. It'll be perfect in eternity, but it will never be perfect this side of eternity. We'll always have issues. And some of you probably realise, you know what, before I came to Jesus, everybody liked me. My friends thought I was cool. Then I came to Jesus, now these people think I'm a nutcase and don't like me as much. People used to treat me with a bit more respect because I was one of the boys or one of the gals, and now I kind of get treated a bit differently because all of a sudden I'm taking a stand for a set of values that they don't agree with. And, and so life didn't suddenly become a bed of roses. And when we're faced with that, so many people make the decision to then pull back from God, like they've been, the whole gospel story has been a false advertisement to them. And we've seen it time and time and time again. I feel like what God has done is he's regathering his people and there's a sense in our hearts where we go, we know that there's something more and we're prepared to think about those things. We're prepared to look at those things. That's why I've been doing this series. I wanted to do it for a long time and never came about so after COVID, uh, I wish you never said that. And we're taking the statements of Jesus that if we're brutally honest, we, we wish you never said it. We can kid ourselves. I wish you never said if anyone wants to come after me. Deny himself, take it across on me. I wish you didn't say that. I don't want to deny myself. There's nothing in me that leans towards self-denial. And there's nothing in me that wants to take up this thing called the cross. There's nothing in me that wants to put uh, uh, the agenda of, of Cassidy, the, the friendly ghost, the invisible God's priority over my own desires and agenda and the things that I've been good in my life. There's nothing in me that wants to do that. But I know when the Holy Spirit comes into me, He gives me this desire for something beyond myself. And now I understand that if I want all that God has for me, I've got to give God all He wants from me. I've often commented that I read the book of Acts and I see this church with healing signs, wonders, miracles and so on and I used to pray all the time that God, I want to be a part of that church until one day. God stopped me in my prayer and said, God, I will be the God of the book of Acts to you and your church if you and your church will be to me the church I had in the book of Acts. And I go, ouch, isn't there an easier way, God? Why can't you just do it? Well, because we participate with God. How many of you know that you're growth in God, you are not a spectator. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a participation sport. We have to participate with the Holy Spirit to see in our lives what, what God wants and to see through our lives what God wants. We can't sit back and just have that, that dice day, case for us, whatever will be, will be attitude and think that we'll get to the end of the race and be the people God wants us to be, have the things He wants us to have and have achieved the things He wants us to achieve. Because he wants us to participate with him. And 
when we think about participating in something, we know that that's not as comfortable and as easy as not participating. My wife watched the football game last night and guess who wasn't in it? The rest of weren't in it. So you know what she did? She sat there and she watched the game. The whole game. Now I tell you this, when the Roosters are playing, she can't sit there and watch the game. It's totally different when she's got some skin in the game, so to speak, when it's her team. She, she, and, and she's called to be somewhat of a participant, not just a spectator. Last night she didn't care about those two things. So she's just spectating and life's easy. She's eating the chips, feet up on the lounge, watching the football. But when the Roosters are playing, the feet are down, she's not even watching, she's in the garage, pacing back and forth like this. I'm text messaging her in the next room to score because she can't watch it. Because there's something about being that close to the game, something about participating on that level that, that is different than just spectating. And we're not called to spectate in this life that God has for us, we're called to participate. And we're not called to sit back and say, well, God, I've come to you now, you do everything for me. God, I've come to you now. I've given you, I've let you into my heart, so you just make my life whatever you want. God goes, I'm trying to make your life what I want it to be, but you have to participate with me. You have to work with me. And so we've been looking at some of these tough, hard sayings of Jesus, and it's interesting because when we started out, every single saying that I wish Jesus didn't say revolved directly around this thing called discipleship. What it means. To walk with Jesus and be a follower of Jesus. So we've been looking at that for the last few weeks. I want to move on very quickly to another statement that, that Jesus said. I haven't got, oh there it is, the clock up the back, sweet. Just as well. And all that, yeah, all that's going to be, all that's going to praise God, hallelujah. So I want to move on to another statement Jesus made about discipleship. In John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32, Jesus makes this statement. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, the NIV says if you hold to my teaching, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That word abide, if you abide in my word. And I think says, hold to my teaching. That word literally means if you continue. So in other words, if you, if you continue in my word, and it's interesting because he's talking here to a bunch of Jews. It says a bunch of Jews that believe him. Fast forward to the end of the chapter, verse 59, the Jews that currently believe him ended up wanting to pick up stones and kill him by the end of the passage. So here's a picture of a bunch of people that sat there and said, we believe you right now. But the more he talked, the more he went on, by the end of it, they wanted to stone him. They didn't continue in his work. They got to a point where they just said, no, nah, don't like it, don't like your values, don't like where you're going with this, don't like what you think about God, about life, don't like what you think about us, don't agree with it. And they do a line in the sand, and by the end of it, they actually want to stone him. So by abiding in his word, what he means is this, continuing. Jesus is saying this, continues in my word. If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now that word indeed is an interesting word as well. That word indeed means this, truly, in reality, most certainly. So I want you to put that together. Jesus is saying this, he says, if you continue in my word, 
if you continue, not popping it out, not just when it's convenient, but if you continue in my word, then you will be my disciples truly, in reality, and most certainly. That's a strong statement. That's a strong statement. There's somewhere in the mind of Jesus was this connection point between what he had to say and who he needed to become. There was a connection point between the words that he had to say and who you and I need to become. If you abide, if you continue in my work, you are my disciples indeed, truly. You are my disciples in reality. You are my disciples most certainly, if you continue in my work. In other words, there's something about continuing in his words that enable us to be a disciple indeed. We could flip that statement if we wanted to. If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. If you don't abide in my word, we're disciples of someone. We're all being discipled by somebody. Is it Jesus? Is it his values, his thoughts, his words, his way of seeing things, his perspectives? Is that what we abide in? Is that what we continue in? Because whatever you continue in will have the most biggest impact on your life. Whatever words you continue in, those words, that voice will have the biggest impact in shaping you to become who you become. Jesus says, if you want to become my followers, in reality, truly, most certainly, says, I'm giving you a key here. Abide in my word, because there's something about the connection between what he has to say and who you and I need to become. So why does Jesus put an emphasis on continuing in his words in order to become a disciple truly in reality and for real? Let me just clarify really quickly why it's not. It's not so that God will love you more. Okay, God won't love you more if you continue in this word. It's got nothing to do with God's affection for you. What Jesus did on the cross for you right here. What Jesus did for you on the cross was the ultimate expression of his love. Nothing he, he does after that can add anything more to that or be more important than that or express greater uh, love and, and, and passion for you than what he did in that historical moment 2,000 years ago when his only son died on the cross so that you don't have to. Greater love has no man than this. In other words, there's no greater expression of love. Greater love has no man than to lay down his life. And that's what Jesus did for us. Abiding in his word has nothing to do with him loving you more. That's religion. That's these, these, these carousels, these religious carousels we create. You know, if you pray more, if you read more, if you, you, you do this and do that. But the, the problem is, the thing about a carousel is, is you can get on the carousel, but you know when you get off, you're the same place you go on. It doesn't take you anywhere. It's moving. gives you the feeling of movement, but it's not taking you anywhere. You're going to get off that carousel, and the same place you got on the carousel, like how fast it's been. doesn't take you anywhere. That's religion. You do more, do more, do more, do more. You're going to land at the same place if you're on for the wrong reasons. Don't get on a carousel out the front of here if you want to go to Ballina. Get on something that'll take you to Ballina, and a carousel won't take you to Ballina. It'll just take you back to the front door of the church here. And that's what religion is. It's like carousels that go round and round and round, give the illusion of movement, make us dizzy, the end take us nowhere. So he's not saying, 
read and abide and continue in my word because I love you more. He's not saying it so you can simply have more information about the Bible. The Pharisees had that much information about the Bible in Jesus' time, it was unbelievable, yet the, the very one that the Old Testament spoke about, when he turns up present in their company, they'd over their head totally missed him. So I want you to continue in it so that you can just know more stuff about this ancient set of documents that have been gathered together, these ancient writings we call the Bible. He's not wanting that just for head knowledge. And it's not so that you have something to teach others. Someone's sitting there chatting with someone going, oh, I can't wait to see Fred, I'm going to tell him that one. I'm talking to you. It's not so that you can get all this information and, and stuff and be able to go, whoever does it, we sit through a message, oh, geez, this person needs to hear that, that person should hear that. Well, you're here today because you need to hear it. That's why you're here, that's why God brought you here. Take, some, take information, pass it on, bless others, but at the end of the day, that's not what Jesus was talking about. It's not so that you have information to give others or so you can be a great teacher. You can sit in the presence of the Word of God and listen to great teaching and preaching just so you can regurgitate stuff back out. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that. So why the emphasis on continuing in his words? Let me, let me give a thought to you, really. I don't want to spend a lot of time there, but I want to tell a thought at you. You and your world are being created by the words you abide in. You and your world are being created by the words you continue in. Go back to Genesis. What's the very first use of words in these ancient documents? Or as we believe human history. The very first use of words was not to communicate. It was to create. The very first use of words was to create to call into being. It was not to communicate. You see, we think, we think words are all about communication. All I'm doing is communicating. I'm not just communicating to somebody. My words are creating in that person's life. My words have the capacity to create. I can stand here right now and I could say, you know what, this old Jesus thing is actually baloney. I don't really believe it. I've been scamming you guys for ages. You're all a bunch of just imbecilic people who keep believing all these lies and stuff of control. Now if I'm serious about that, I'll bet you I've just created something inside of you. You're starting to get angry, you're getting frustrated, you're, 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 you're astonished. I've just created emotion, I've created things through the words that I'm saying to you. You can sit down with a child and you can encourage a child with your words. You can create something inside of that child, you can create confidence. You can create self-belief. You can, you can create a child that walks with their head up. You can also sit down with that same child and with your same words create death and destruction. With your same words you can speak into an environment and you can bring about joy and laughter. With the same mouth you can speak words and you can create a somber and a heavy atmosphere. Our words aren't just about communicating, our words are about creating. And that's God's intention for words. Words create. They create life. It says in uh, Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now that doesn't mean that I would take this here and go, her. It's what I do with it. It's the words I speak. The words I speak have the capacity, it says, death and life. What's death? It's like destruction. It's something going backwards, decaying, dying. What's life? It's birth. It's, it's fruit. It's, it's good stuff. It's going forward. And I can use my words to create death, and I can use my words to create destruction. Words 
have the power to create. God's Word created in the beginning, and here's the thing, it still creates. God's Word still has creative power. God's Word still creates in your life and in my life. How many of you, as you grew up, had somebody say to you, well, you'll never be able to do that? You, you, you would never, you, you, you wouldn't like tomatoes, so don't ever eat a tomato. So your whole life you never ate a tomato? You don't know if you like it or not, but someone told you you don't like tomatoes, so it created this world within you, and so you don't eat tomatoes. How many of you were told you'd never be any good at that? And so you didn't even try that. You didn't know if you'd ever be any good at it. You didn't try it. You were just told you'd never be any good at that, so you didn't do that. So that word that was spoken, you created something in your person that stayed away from that. How many of you achieved something in life or did something great on the back of somebody saying to you, I think you could do this? You'll knock it out of the ballpark. I reckon you'll be awesome at that. I reckon you should have a go at this. And on the basis of what they spoke, it created something in your person that stepped out in faith or had a go or confronted a challenge. When I was a kid, let me preface this by saying this. I love my father. Me and my father have a good relationship and I love my father. And like all parents in this room, every child, if you're old enough to hear what I'm saying, hear this, your mum and dad are probably doing the best they can with the knowledge they have. They know they're not perfect. They're just doing the best they can with the knowledge they have. And my dad, he did the same. He did the best he could with the knowledge he had. But I remember an incident when I was about 14 years of age. we just moved from Sydney. And I grew up playing rugby league, and I loved playing rugby league. And I was this kid that in the under-sevens went to bed Friday night, and when, uh, when, when the lights were off in the house, I got up, put my boots on, laced them up, put my shorts on, everything, and went back to bed in my full guard, uniform, boots and all, because I didn't want to miss the game in the morning. And I would wake up, crack a joint, and I would run down to the football field. I was not going to miss that game. I loved it. <laughs> but my parents weren't necessarily always there. Weren't bad people, as I said, I loved them, but they weren't there. They didn't come all the time and watch and so on. Fast forward till I'm about 14 years of age and we moved to Mudgee. And when we get to Mudgee, I go down to the football fields and I sign up for the Mudgee Dragons and I'm pumped because I'm going to play rugby league again in another town. I train with them all pre-season and then it comes time for the game and I'm saying to my, my, my dad, you know, I need my birth certificate, Dad, because I need a clearance from Claymore, this place in Western Sydney where we used to play. I need a clearance so I can play. Yeah, yeah, it's on the way, it's on the way, it's on the way. Now, three days before the first game, the coach is going, I can't play you without this. And so I went to my dad and I said, Dad, where's his birth certificate? And I was a bit flustered and frustrated because I want to play. And my dad turned to me in a moment, and he didn't mean anything by it, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Here's what he said to me. He said, don't worry about it. You were never any good anyway. I love my dad, and he loves me. And there was no intention for that to have any impact on me. But you know what I realized as I've grown up? That created something inside of me. You know what it created? A desire to get the approval of a father. The desire to be successful in something so that a father would say to me, well done, good on you. You know what else is funny? As I've gone on through life and been successful and achieved and done things, I've never once felt the desire to run to him and sit down and tell him. It's weird. There's this desire for the, uh, the, the, the approval of a father, but 
when I'll do something great, I don't go to my father to even see if he'll give me approval. Sweet. But those words created something inside me as a child. And it's something that I've had to battle for years and years and years. Who would have thought 14, 15 years of age, standing at the front of the post office in Mudgee, one sentence would have the capacity and the power coming from a man who loves me, by the way. Yet it had such an impact on my heart and my life. Why? Because those words, he wasn't just communicating something to me at the time, those words were being used in creating something. Something was being created inside of me. And I'm sure there are many people in this room and you could, you could mirror that testimony in different ways. Things that were said, weren't said. Even with good intentions, it doesn't matter. See, we don't, we've got to understand that our words... I mean, James talks about the power of the tongue, doesn't he? He says it's a world of iniquity. Go to sea world. Go to movie world. Don't go to iniquity world. It's Life and death really are in the power of the tongue. Why? Because words were not given to us just to communicate... Words are there to create. They create stuff in our life. But the good news is this. God's Word wants to create something in us as well. It wants to create security. It wants to create stability, identity. It wants to create value apart from performance. We're all being discipled by the words that we continue in with the most consistency. Just as Jesus said, if you abide, if you continue in my words, then you'll be my disciples truly, in reality, and most certainly. But if you continue in somebody else's words, then that other set of words, that other being, that other thing will have the capacity to create you into something in reality, truthfully, and most certainly as well. Whose words... Are you abiding in? Have a think about that. Whose words are you continuing in? That'll go a long way to determining to you whose disciple are you. Well, we, 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 we spent um, some time in India, years in India, living over there. And the first time I went to India, India was India. Okay? What do I mean by that? I mean, I'm walking down the street, some lady just dropped in front of me, and that's how you do it. Wow, really? Oh. People were wearing Indian clothes, eating Indian food. There was no shopping malls, nothing like that. No Wi-Fi, no computers, nothing. We come home and I go back some years later. And I get off the plane and I get on a pedal ritual. You go on a pedal ritual. And as we're driving along, all of a sudden I hear this. I'm thinking, what is that? I mean, I'm used to chickens and cows and horns and everything. I'm the pedal ritual guy stops, gets off, reaches into his pocket, pulls out a mobile phone. There's a pedal ritual guy in India. He's, he's wearing the same pants he was wearing when he picked me up three years ago. And they look like they haven't been washed, but he's got a mobile phone. And he picks it up and he starts talking on his mobile phone. He's gone thinking, that's just weird. Anyway, I get back to the, to the place where I'm staying. And then I, I, I go out and there's this shopping centre. I'm looking at the shopping centre and that, it looks like a western mall. And then at night time, you know what happened in that western mall? All these young kids came, Indian youth came, and they're hanging out in the mall. But they're not wearing their traditional dress anymore. They're wearing jeans and t-shirts. 
Well, I remember taking an average team in there and, and we took them into the mall and, and of course we teach them to be culturally relevant so they put all their Indian gear on. Then we went out there to the mall. The girls didn't want to talk to any of our girls because they're adopting a culture that they're trying to throw away. Why do we want to talk to you? So I broke tradition the next night. Here's what I want you girls to do. Go put on the same clothes you'd wear at home and let's see what happens. So they went out, they put on their jeans and their normal clothes, went against everything we'd been trained to do, went into the mall and as soon as we got there, these Indian girls just come running to them, want to talk to them, want to talk to them, want to talk to them. You go down the mall at night time, there's these little cars. Anyone been to India, see what Indian road looks like? It's just, it's chaos, madness, chickens, goats, cows, people in every direction. There's only one road rule. If you have the biggest vehicle, you've got the right of way. Outside of that, anything goes. And so... You go, I get into the mall at night time and there's these little cars that, that, that uh, like a, it's like a beetle, but it's not a beetle, it's a little Indian brand car. But, but inside these cars are these big Sikh boys with the turbans on. They've got the windows wound down and they've got the tunes coming up. Doop, 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 doop. I'm thinking, this is not India! This is not India! And they're doing blocks. And it's not like a block here. Go down the main street of Lismore, it'll take you two minutes to do a block. It probably took them an hour. They didn't care. Windows down. I'm thinking, this is, this is Brisbane. This is not India, this is Brisbane. And then the penny drop. You've got a whole bunch of youth over there being discipled by this product called MTV. MTV. And all the music and all the lyrics and all the values and the ideas that are coming out of that stuff is being pumped into these young people. And so they're rejecting their own culture and their own values and they're being discipled by these other voices. And they're chasing a whole bunch of different things that you and I probably realise it's not going to take you where you think it's going to take you because it hasn't taken us there. They're being discipled by this voice they're continuing. Young people in this room right now, young people, uh, listen to what I've got to say. Be very careful with the music and the stuff that you listen to. I'm not a scientist and I'm not a psychologist. But I see people listening to all of this emotional, oh, they don't love me anymore. He will love me once and then he doesn't love me now. You know? Once upon a time we were in love. Now it's on a time we're not in love anymore And my heart is broken on the floor And I want some more I made that up, that's not even a real song That was good, that was good And they're taking this stuff in, you take this stuff in Just be very careful, it might just be a song Here's what I always used to say to my kids, I still do And I got one of them here So I'll say, I love that song And I'll say, well, do you know what it's about? And they'll go, no nah. I go, well don't you listen to the words no? I say, yes, but it's the words that are getting into you. I don't walk around the house going, I walk around the house going, love me, love me, not, love me, love me, not, love me. It's the words I'm singing, it's the words that are going in there. So be very careful about the words that you continue in. Why? Because those words are not just communicating, they're creating something. They're creating something in you. They're creating something. Because words are not just communication devices, they're creation devices. And that's the way that God set it up in the very, very beginning. 
Whose words are you abiding in? Whose words are you abiding in? Whose words are taking precedence? And are you giving them the, the open door to come and to create in your world and through your world? Here's what Jesus is saying. To the degree that you continue in my words is the degree to which I'm able to create in you what I want to create. The degree to which you continue in my words is the degree to which I am able to create in you what I want to create in you. If you abide in my words, if you continue in my words, then those words will create in you what I want to create in you. You know, I read the Bible sometimes and, 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 and it's not even about just having to understand it all. You know, if you stop at everything you don't understand, you probably won't get far. I just want to put it in me. I want to put God's Word in me. 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 So when the Holy Spirit wants to do something, He's got something to draw from. You know, when our kids used to do exams at school, we, we would pray for them. Uh, but, but the prayer would always be this. We would always tell them, you've got to study. You've got to read. You've got to learn your stuff so that when you get an exam, you can bring out what you put in there. I, I, I reckon if, if, if I went around this room and I asked each individual to be really honest, how's the passion in your walk with God? How's, how's your relationship with God just in general? Where do you find yourself? How do you, how do you feel in the context of your relationship with God, your security in God, uh, your understanding how He sees you, all this stuff? I bet you, for most people that are struggling in those areas, I bet you you've got a very poor time in the Word. I bet you've got very poor habits in terms of getting into these words of Jesus. But this is what Jesus said, if you want to be my disciples, truly, in reality, and most certainly, you've got to get my words into you. Because the words you're putting in you, those words, that's the primary means by which I used to create in you who I want you to be. And God has the best plan for your life. Nobody has a better plan for your life than God. No one, no one can shape you into the best version of yourself better than God can. God's Word is the number one way He produces in and through us the life of a disciple. And, 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 and here's, 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 here's what He says on the back of that. In verse 32 He said this, He said, If you continue in My Word, if you continue in My Word, then you'll be My disciple in reality, most certainly truly. And when you're that person, he said this, he said, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So it works like this. You continue in the Word of God. And as you continue in the Word of God, he turns you into the person that he wants you to be. How does he do that? Well, he reveals to you the truth that you need. The truth you need right now. For you to become the person that you need to become. The truth you need in your life right now. Who needs to be set free in areas? Who's got areas in the world right now where you know you need freedom? You know that you need freedom. I do. I've got areas in my life where I know I need freedom. Uh, there's a movie out some time back called School for Scandals. I'm not recommending it. I've always got to put that disclaimer up there. Called, uh, but, but there's a scene in it. There's a bunch of guys that have their, 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 their bedside table full of self-help books. You know, all the self-help stuff, you know, all that stuff. I'm not bagging it. I'm just... It's all there. But one of my favourite lines ever in the history of cinema comes out of that movie. 
they're all sitting in this classroom with this guy who's running a class to help those kinds of people. And he says to them, he says, I'll bet you this, he said, hands up if, if you guys, who in this room has a pile of self-help books next to their bed and they all... And he goes, well, that's your problem. The problem is you're trying to get help by self and the problem is you, you self-suck. And I thought, I'm going to use that every chance I get. You're trying to get help by yourself, but yourself sucks. You need outside help to become the person that you want to become. You need outside help to become the person that God wants you to become. So Jesus says this, if you continue in my word, then by doing that, he says, I'll take that word and I'll reveal truth to you. That truth will set you free. And as you, beget, and as you become more and more free, you become more and more my disciple, the person I created you to be truly, indeed, and most certainly. Can you see the connection? God, Jesus said, you've got to abide in my word. It's not for any religious reason. It's because that's the number one way by which God uh, can turn you, wants to turn you into that person that he wants you to be so you can be who you're meant to be, have what you're meant to have, and do those things that you are meant to do. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for your word, God. And Father, I, I just pray for each person here, God, Lord, that, uh, Father, we would, God, not get up and run away and have lunch and get on with the rest of the day, but, but Father, I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, would you uh, water the seeds that have been planted this morning, God, the thoughts, the things that the Holy Spirit has been saying to different individuals in this place. Would you, uh, Lord, water those seeds? Father, would you continue to draw us closer to yourself? Lord, continue to open our eyes to what it means to be a follower of Jesus in 2020 here in Australia. Lord, what it means to reflect God to our community, to our families, to the people around us, the goodness of God without compromise and without becoming religious fanatics. It's not something we can do on ourselves, but we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And we ask for that, God. And Lord, for the next seven days, as we leave this place today, in the next seven days, give every single person in this room, every person in this room, an opportunity to tell somebody out there about the goodness of God. Father, somebody out there right now that doesn't know it, that's struggling, that's open, that's ready to hear some good news, Father, would you use us in the next seven days, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, God bless you guys.